Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. <laughs> Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale of moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. All right. Welcome to another live stream of the Critics Not Cynics podcast. As we get back into the swing of things, since we're taking a couple weeks on and off. Um, as always, I'm joined by Leslie. Leslie, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing quite all right, uh, especially after the kind of jam-packed busy day so that we can bring this podcast episode to you guys. Um, so if you're not already aware by the title, of course, the title being uh, a little a little play on the two topics we're discussing, we're going to be talking about The Batman um leslie and i both got a chance to see it here on opening weekend and figured this was one of the best times to kind of get it out there um for everyone uh right when oh an opening weekend we are going to talk spoilers but just for you people who haven't seen it yet we are going to talk about spoilers at the very end of this episode so we're going to do a non-spoiler review talk about the story talk about casting all of that jazz and then uh, we will talk about our second topic, which is Star Trek Picard Season 2. Uh, it premiered this week. Uh, and if you've been a listener of the podcast for a while, you know we did a very extensive uh, review series a while back when Season 1 aired. This probably won't be as ex- as extensive <laughs> because I have not had a chance to rewatch it nor take my, my long dutiful notes um yeah i haven't either so that is what is on the docket today and to get all of the other stupid jazz out of the way uh if you want to like uh the this uh on youtube uh please do share it on your on your social media platforms uh you know subscribe to the show uh obvious uh, we have patreon all that stuff's in the in the links in the description and if you're listening audio only we're on podbean itunes uh just about any place you can get your audio-only podcast. And we do have a little bit of good news because we thought we were going to have to not do the rest of our uh, series that we were doing on Patreon. But thankfully, uh, even though we heard the rumors and we talked about them uh, in the last uh, live stream, the Marvel Netflix shows are moving to Disney+. Plus. They will be available here, I think, mid-month, or they're already available now. Um, so we will be able to continue our watch-along of Daredevil. <laughs> so we were really, really worried there for a little bit. Um, and then we also will have a uh, pre-recorded video coming out to continue our MCU franchise review. We are going to be discussing Thor Dark World. 
Uh, I'm not going to say when that's coming out because I have a little bit of a scheduling snafu when we were going to record, Uh, but that should be coming out this week uh, at some point. And uh, because what we're going to do is we have these live streams and we're going to have the um, kind of interspersed with some pre-recorded videos. And we figure MCU franchises are perfect for pre-records, so you can go watch them whenever, uh, watch them along as you're watching the MCU. Uh, so, uh, we hope you guys enjoy that content as well. There will be a separate playlist on our YouTube, uh, page, uh, but they will not, uh, have our, uh, prior episodes that were audio only when we were audio only podcasts. So you'd have to go out to Podbean or iTunes to go check out those backlogs. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think that's enough of the jazz out of the way. So, um, let's, uh, let's just dive right into it. Um, the Batman. The Batman. <laughs> and as I uh, told Pat, our elusive uh, third chair co-host, um, Matt Reeves does not know how to make a short movie outside of Cloverfield. <laughs> Cloverfield was, I believe, his first film. And if you would have told me back in, uh, I believe that was like 2006, 2007, when Cloverfield came out, if you would have told me that this man would go on to direct the Planet of the Apes uh, series, the Batman and that, you know, this dorky little guy was going to kind of helm these grandiose stories and uh, make these fantastic films. I don't know if I would have believed you, even as a fan of Cloverfield. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would have, uh, would have believed that because it always kind of blows my mind whenever I hear his name brought up on a big project, I'm like the Cloverfield director, like really? And <laughs> Now it's just like it's he's he's a household name. The man doesn't know how to make a film almost under three hours. Uh, if you look at any of the planet, I think maybe the first uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was maybe under two hours. But then you get to to uh, Dawn and War. They're much, much longer films. And that is to a strength and uh, detriment for um for him and for his movies, uh, depending on, on what your opinion is on long films. Um, so that's one thing I've heard a lot of reviewers talking about. Uh, we've had a little bit of a discussion about it, not, not anything super big or intensive or critical. Um, but I will say this. If you are turned off by that runtime, uh, two hours and 56 minutes, I believe, is, is the total length. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going up on HBO Max April 19th. So if you want to wait, wait. Like, it's a good film, but I would say, like, if you can wait a month, you'll be fine. Like, you might get some spoilers here and there, uh, but honestly, there's nothing so, except for within the main story itself, I guess, there's nothing that's so, like, monumental about the film that if it if you find out plot details... I don't think it ruins the movie for you necessarily. No, there's just there's one spot of the movie where I would say it's better in the theater with the sound. Mm-hmm. So like if you don't have a good sound system, you know, that might be something if you want that theater experience of like the whole room shaking. Right. But if if like if that's not a thing for you, you don't really care, you've got a decent sized TV, whatever, you know, yeah, you could wait and, and be able to pause 
and go yes. to the bathroom because, oh my gosh, yeah, definitely by the time we got to the credits, I was like, okay, is there an end scene? Because <laughs> I have got to go. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I was like even preemptive. Um, I went, we went to the, I went to the bathroom prior to entering the theater and we were there about a good 30 minutes before the movie started. And then yeah, just to clarify you and Patrick. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Yes. Cause uh, yeah, for people who don't realize, yeah, we live right. in different states. Right, <laughs> we work for the same company, but in different right. states. Right. Um, Pat and I, yes, when we went went to go see it this morning, uh, you know, we went into the bathroom and then uh, got in our seats, sat there for about another 10, 15 minutes, and then I was like, "All right, I'm going one more time." <laughs> and even still, then, like, probably about a good 40, 50 minutes into the movie, I'm like, "Oh man." I, I need to go, but uh, I'm I'm not going because I will say it, there are a lot of things that if you got up and went to the bathroom at specific points and they're so spread out that you can't easily isolate them, you could miss a very important plot detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this film, much like other Matt Reeves films, um, is very plot focused, very plot heavy, and I would describe this uh, as a fan of um, you know all the all the other Batman films, even somewhat to an extent, the Joel Schumacher ones, um, this, and, and also actually really enjoying Ben Affleck as Batman in, in his short uh, term. Uh, this is the first comic book Batman movie. Uh, and if you don't know what I mean by that, it's, it takes a lot of inspiration and adapts very, for the most part, faithfully, actual comic storylines. It's a mixture of Long Halloween, uh, Zero Year. Um, there's even a mixture of some of the Arkham video games into it. Uh, you know, expanded universe, some Batman 66 Easter eggs in there. Uh, it just, it. this is the first time I have felt in watching a Batman movie that Gotham feels like Gotham. It feels like it's its own thing. And I was explaining this to Pat and uh, unfortunately he couldn't join us tonight. He had a prior engagement. Um, It doesn't just look like New York or Chicago. Like, yes, it's filmed in both, uh, you know, both cities, but the way that Gotham is an amalgamation of all the major cities it's based off of, Mm -hmm. it has its own, character it has its own feeling it has its own soul i mean it's got its own Times square it's got its own madison square garden it's got the bridges from chicago like all of those amalgamations make it really feel like it's its own city i i don't know if you had a a similar opinion to that or not Uh, so we're just talking like setting yeah i feel like like the scouting of locations, like because I also saw like bits of London in there mm-hmm. too. Yeah, was really well done. It really did feel like a lived-in place, like a lived-in real place. Like I mean, again, because we've talked about before, like I wasn't like hardcore into DC or anything like that, so I don't have like a ton of backup knowledge for any of that. Right. But it did feel like the setting itself did feel like an actual like makes sense lived in place it didn't it wasn't just like here's some stock photography that looks like the skyline of new york you know or or things like that the the thing that always confuses me is in my mind i'm like i try to place where the these are Mm -hmm. 
and I was thinking that Gotham was always kind of more like Detroit, but then they're talking about, well, but I'm saying in my head, <laughs> right, right. but then, you know, with the, the sea and I'm like, oh crap. So they're actually on a coast somewhere. And I, you know, and in my mind, I'm trying to rearrange the little map that I've made <laughs> of, of where I feel like they all belong. You know? Yeah. Goth- Gotham's always intended to be East coast. Cause uh, the, you know, they were largely yeah. inspired by New York city. Uh, much, of course, so is Metropolis. So you know, it's a, it's like... yeah. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> if they both are there, are they like across the bay from each other. And it's like New Jersey and New York. You well, know, that was the thing. that was the really cool thing that Zack Snyder did with Batman v Superman is he established that he made it like yeah. they're just across the bay from each other, and yeah. uh, kind of that yeah that like they got that rivalry because they they are right next to each other. Um, whereas in other films that don't really interconnect. Uh, you don't really get that established that well. Um, right. Yes, the aesthetics of this film, the setting, the visuals, uh, it, it is perfect. It, it's what you would expect from a Matt Reeves, um, Matt Reeves film. It's, it's dark. It's it's dark, <laughs> and but that doesn't um, that doesn't define the movie. I would say, like even though the way it's shot the way the film actually portrays out like, cause this will be, you'll, you'll hear me say this. If you listen to our MCU um, review on Thor dark world, Thor dark world is the movie that took its own ti- title too seriously. <laughs> Meaning everything about it is dark. The lighting's dark. Uh, all the colors are dark. Uh, the, the story is dark. Like everything about it, all the characters are acting dark. Like it, it just takes it too seriously. Whereas, you know, yeah, Batman's a brooding character, but this is a dark film and it's not just all focused on Batman. Like it is because I, I will say the, uh, the character in of itself is Gotham. Like Gotham is a character within the film and not just, oh, it's the city of Gotham, but the history of Gotham. The um, just again, it's just beautifully done and it, it feels so entrenched in comics lore that it feels like to be the most real version or real comic book movie of Batman. Um, I, I, the score is fantastic. Uh, that the, even the little theme that they came up with for, for the Batman is I loved it. Every time you would (laughs) hear it, like just play in the background, um, just, just beautifully done. And so without, you know, me going any further on that, cause I could ramble on for hours about the sets and, and, and the aesthetics, uh, what, what thoughts, what other thoughts do you have on that? I'm trying to think of non-spoiler things to say, which is the the thing is like I don't want to spoil anybody for the non-spoiler section. Um, overall, I I I I guess if you're coming to this podcast, you probably already have some basis of knowledge of DC or things like that. But like, if you don't, okay, this is not campy, funny Adam West Batman. Whoa. If this is not superhero action movie if that's what you want this is not for you um this is very dark themes heavy themes and it's very much like a cerebral gritty film noir batman murder mystery it's very suspenseful and thriller which it like which really appeals to me so this is not like if you're just looking for your summer blockbuster action hero movie this is not for you um, but for everything else, like this is amazing. It was really, really good. And I like 
the realism of it is what I liked, that it kind of really walked that line. Because, I mean, there's obviously some ridiculous things that you're like, that's not real, you know, obviously. But it kept, it had everything feel possible and real, which is one of the things when we had the Chris Nolan Bat- Batman mo- movies that I really liked, that it wasn't just completely, like, you know, out of left field or whatever. So this actually even feels more real to me than those did. It, like his suit, his car, and how he the um Matt Reeves does such a great job of actually this is, you know, our criticism of um Captain Marvel all the time. He shows you everything. Yeah. He doesn't just tell you. It's like people need to study this like, use this as a blueprint for your class. <laughs> this is what we mean when we say we want you to show us things and not tell us. Because you see all the car parts yeah. in his Batcave. Never once does anybody just go like, oh, you know, because I've been tinkering on my car. There's not a single line. Not one. You just see it. And then you see him in the car. Like, nobody has to tell you and fill you in that, oh, look, he's working on the Batmobile. You know, things like that, like how people react to him. And you can see, like, this is clearly the first time he's ever done this because it's weird that he, he he's here the way that everybody's looking at him. Nobody says a, an off, like a toss line that says it. Right. You know, so it's it's a very cerebral movie. You do have to pay attention. Um, if you like thrillers and things like that, like the characters are more realistic. I believe from the trailer that you know that um, Colin Farrell's playing Penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a realistic, interesting take on Penguin. Like to me, it seems like, yes, he's part of the mob and like this would be like how he would be there and not just like the wah wah, you know, thing with the <laughs> although, fish. Although they do work the Waddlewood very well, right. though, but they work it in. Right. But it's like <laughs> he has a gimp, you know, and yeah. things like it's not like, you know. Uh, what well, I can't remember his name, but in the Adam West one, his purple top hat, oh, uh, you know, Burgess Meredith. Yes, that's it, Burgess Meredith. It's it's not like that. <laughs> so, like the character has kind of like a realistic, like yes, this is if the mob was in Gotham and they like this is how it would be and how the characters would kind of play out. So nothing feels like totally ridiculous to me. Yeah, uh, this is one thing because uh, you bring up a, a very a very good point um, that. I wanted to, I, I expressed to, uh, to Pat as well. Uh, I don't want this though to stick a hundred percent to like total realism. Cause like, I know they, people have asked Matt if he would bring Superman into this universe or, or, you know, a, a Superman for this earth. And he's like, uh, I'm a little bit iffy on that because it breaks outside kind of the realistic world he's created. And I don't want that to be a constraint because I still think you can have that and those two characters can still coexist and he can still be an alien from another world and stuff like that uh, and keep all of the like ridiculous stuff in Metropolis while Gotham stays completely kind of ground crime oriented because I know... You know, he's got certain plans for the future that I can't talk about right now without spoiling spoiling something. So I caught myself as I was about to say <laughs> it. Um, but like, I, I just I don't want it to become too reliant on that because it does feel really good. Uh, it, that that gritty you you had it perfectly on the head with the uh, crime noir. Like it is it is a film noir. It, it is mm-hmm. you have him narrating most of most of the film for a good period. 
which is if you're a um a Watchmen fan really feels like Rorschach, uh, you know, narrating his his journal. Um, but like, it, it it does a really good job of like you said, it it's showing. Uh, you don't have to know. Bruce has gone through some pretty horrific stuff. Oh yeah, uh, can I just say? Yeah. just because it popped into my head. Thank you, Matt Reeves, for not having a single flashback to Thomas and Martha <laughs> Wayne's, you know, and her pearls go across the the alleyway. Like, finally, a Batman movie where we don't have to just sit through that. Like, jeez. Right. Uh, but you, you, you see him early on in the film, and he takes off uh, his shirt or whatever, and you see all the bru- bruises, the scars, everything that shows that he has mm-hmm. gone through uh, physical hell. Um, for his character and yes it if you're going in because i've heard a criticism um and this is actually secondhand knowledge but again critical drinker go check his videos out he's far better at this than we are uh he has the subs to show it and the views to show it but um his major criticism of robert pattison is he's a great batman not so great bruce wayne but well, my, I have thoughts on that. Well, and here in the uh, so we'll as we tried to do when we were pre uh, pre recording these, we're going to kind of move to now uh, casting and characters. Um, so this is the perfect time to talk about it. This this film has no Bruce Wayne problem because no, it doesn't. Bruce Wayne isn't the focus of the film. Yeah, I was about to say Bruce Wayne is not the focus of this film whatsoever. He's kind of a side character, mm-hmm. if that. He has he, about two major scenes not in the Batsuit. And I I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, but I particularly like that they went with a recluse instead of Playboy. That's not really a spoiler. Okay, so they went more recluse Bruce Wayne because he's so far into Batman and all this that he's dealing with psychologically that you know Bruce Wayne is not the playboy and extravagant or whatever. So they went recluse. And I, I personally feel like this really set up for Bruce Wayne to be a focus character in the next movie. Right. Yes. Uh, and see, this was always Matt's intention is this is again, this is going back to why this feels like the most accurate comic book movie version of Batman, because it's, it's taking uh, key storylines. And another one I wanted to mention was Batman earth one, uh, really factors into this. Uh, if you've read that graphic novel, you'll get some of the characterizations that they do with Penguin or how Penguin looks. Um, and I think Riddler was involved in volume two of that. Um, but this also is taking year one and kind of being a sequel to Batman year one from the comics, which was all about you know him becoming Batman. We're jumping right in. It's year two. Mm-hmm. He's been Batman for two years. He's already got his relationships established with Gordon. No need to rehash that. We got the bat signal. No need to rehash that. He's already where, or the cops are already a wary and not accepting of him for the past two mm-hmm. years. Don't need to rehash that. Um, and you know, the most, what's the biggest complaint we typically have with comic book movies, especially when they're introducing a character for the first time, we got to wait 40, 50 minutes to see them in the suit. Right. This, this wastes no time. He, no. he first time you see Pattison, really, he's in the he's suit. in the suit. You know, and he is in the suit for about ninety percent of the film. And as a fan who 
Yes, I know Bruce Wayne is essential to the character of Batman. I'm coming to a Batman movie to see him as Batman. And <laughs> the scenes outside of him in the suit are all instrumental to why he's in the suit for most of the time. Um, so now to talk about Robert Pattinson, cause I have, I still have a 50, 50 opinion of him. Um, and this is primarily, let me clear this out, especially if one of my, if my, uh, guild master from lost Ark is, is listening. Uh, so she doesn't murder me cause we already had this discussion. Um, this this isn't because of Twilight, okay? I, I've never seen Twilight. I don't intend on seeing Twilight. Twilight is an abomination of the book-to-movie genre, in my opinion, as well as <laughs> being a book in of itself. So, and of course, when uh, Goblet of Fire came out, I didn't even know who he was, let alone the fact that he played Cedric Diggory. And um, so prior to this film... And prior about six, seven months ago, maybe a year ago uh, to this film, the only movie I had seen him in was Goblet of Fire. Then The Lighthouse came out with Willem Dafoe, and I watched it because it looked interesting. It didn't really want to watch it for Robert Pattinson, but more for Willem Dafoe. And I was like, actually pretty talented actor he held his own against uh defoe and did a really good job in the film so when it came to the announcement that he was taking over i'm like well he doesn't have the bruce wayne look per se and and i don't know how he's going to do then the trailer comes out trailer looks pretty decent looks like he's going to be a good batman i kind of like that his his batman voice wasn't too trying it's not the christian bale gravelly and it's not the <laughs> voice modulation of ben affleck uh, right. It's just kind of a variation of how he sounds himself. So, you know, I, I had those apprehensions and the book is still out on him being an overly talented actor. He was good in Tenet. I, I forgot. I did see him him in Tenet and he was really good in Tenet. Um, but if you are worried about him in this film, if you personally are worried about Robert Pattinson playing Batman, don't worry about it. I think he does a fantastic job. And again, the criticism about being Bruce, uh, Bruce is not a factor in this film. The yeah. Bru Bruce Wayne is almost a non-entity. And I will say part of why he doesn't look like a good Bruce is his hair. It's too long. <laughs> but as you were saying, the recluse thing, yeah. it makes sense that right yeah. now that's not who he is. And exactly forward, learning that he I, I and i think um selena is a reason why bruce needs to come out of that show like he comes to that realization throughout the film with his relationship with her that there is something more than just batman like he can't just all be there so we might see more of an actual prop and uh proper uh bruce if they make, uh, I know, and I know he's got kind of a sequel moving around in that head of his, uh, so who knows what Matt's going to come up with. But um, I think you'll see a more proper looking Bruce in a sequel than you will in this one. Uh, mm -hmm. But yes, I was very impressed with his performance. Yeah, I think he did a really good job. I, I mean, when they announced the casting, I just didn't have any feelings one way or the other, honestly. Just because, I mean, like I knew his name 
and I have also never seen Twilight or any of the books or anything, but I knew his name because of, you know, culture. Right, right. And that he was the guy, the vampire in Twilight. That, like, that's pretty much what I knew. Um, I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. I'd have to, like, actually, like, go and look. But, I mean, I didn't have any reaction. I was just like, oh, okay, you know, like, you know, whatever. And I watched the movie, and he was great. I didn't have any issues with how he looked as Bruce because it all made sense. Like, he's the recluse. Like, he doesn't look healthy. <laughs> like, right, that's right. kind of the point. You know, it's not, he's not out there as the playboy or anything yet. And, like, the company's dying, basically. <laughs> because he's he's still in the midst of all his, dealing with his psychological issues and grief and things. And, you know, it's, he, he doesn't, he's not supposed to be all slicked up and, you know, bachelor of the year or anything like that's that's not who he is right now. That's what Alfred's like trying to get him to be right. uh, Essentially. Like he's so caught up in his grief. I do want to point this out because I know people have kind of made fun of it from, from the trailers and stuff because you don't know like kind of the context. And if you're not really reading up on any articles talking about it, Uh, I have to appreciate and give Matt, Matt Reeves a lot of credit on this because this is always a, a detail that, always kind of bothered me with any of the previous other Batman movies. When he's got the cowl on, you got, you know, eyeliner or whatever, makeup there, the black around the eyes. Oh, yeah. Uh, But when every actor would take off the cowl, their eyes are fine. They're clear. Yeah. (laughs) And here... You see it. Like, it's yeah. still on his He clearly face. has, and I think he he did in, like, charcoal across, like, his yeah. whole face here. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tiny detail like that because you know someone's not just going to take off a cow and there just happened to be <laughs> some type of prosthetic or, you know, something right. that would attach to their eyes. Uh, so that's another, again, uh, small detail that I, I really appreciate. So, uh, yes, if, if, if Pattison is a turnoff for you in this film, please try to put whatever apprehensions or criticisms because uh, I from my understanding, he doesn't even like the Twilight films. Like he's not really <laughs> proud of that. And he was a lot younger then, you know, same with yeah. Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart has gone on to do plenty of other very uh, impressive films. Uh, she, I think has had a better time escaping from that legacy um, than uh, Robert has. But I think that this is the start. I think that, putting him into the mainstream uh, audience with a film like this is going to do a better job for his career and being taken more seriously in other projects he's working in. Um, and of course it's a Matt Reeves film. So you can't have, uh, you can't not have Andy Serkis uh, in the film. Uh, if you were not familiar, he was Caesar in the uh, planet of the apes films. And I love Andy. Um, I mean, he does a great job. He's fantastic. He's very, um, reminiscent of the Gotham Alfred. Um, uh, oh God, why am I? It, oh God, I'm I'm missing his name, and I love him. It's Sean. His father was the third Doctor. Oh God, why can't I think of his last name? Oh God, this is gonna bother me. Anyways, <laughs> he's very reminiscent of him, um, because it 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 is very much more of a. I was in the military. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm more, even though I'm I'm proper and and stuff like that. I have I'm tough. Pertwee, <laughs> Pertwee. That's why I couldn't remember. It. I don't know why. I knew it started with a P. But Sean Pertwee. He's very reminiscent of Sean Pertwee's from Gotham. And I'll even say that this takes a little inspiration from Gotham, the show. 
especially that since they're going to be doing their prequel show uh, focusing on Penguin, which was kind of the whole point of Gotham, the show. So, you know, it's like I, I, I believe uh, stars from the show kind of tweeted at Matt Reeves going, uh, you know, the whole um, – here you can copy my homework just change it up a little bit different you know type of thing so <laughs> yeah. you, so they won't notice um but you know Andy does a really good job and sadly I wish he was in the movie more he's got about yeah. three scenes that are are uh very pertinent um but ultimately like they I, I, they don't utilize him enough but he is trying to be there uh, as the father figure as the guy who's trying to get Bruce back into the world but bruce of course is on his holy mission mm-hmm. um we have jeffrey wright as commissioner gordon who um and i love jeffrey I, I think he's a fantastic actor about anything i see him in his felix lighter is my favorite uh with the the most recent bond uh series um but the problem with gordon in this film is he's just there like he <laughs> He's the, he's just there. Uh, I I I really feel like they didn't utilize his character enough, and he's more just kind of, for lack of a better term, to be the Robin to to the Batman essentially. I mean, he's he's there as kind of backup. He's there as the kind of you know the friend on the force. They work the cases together, but it it, it just he kind of feels more of a background character in this film. I I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I can, I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a ton of agency, but again, it's like, it doesn't really take away for me. Oh, not like, a lot. Like, yeah. I liked his performance, and I like him as as Gordon. I just, I don't know, he doesn't really, um, I'm trying to think, I'm like, hmm, you know, <laughs> he, like, I like, a, well, there's a couple of scenes specifically, but I don't want to do spoilers and, like, completely name out, like, exact scenes, but... I, f- I feel like he does a good enough job for what he needs to be, his character needs to be for, for this kind of movie, like for Batman, like you said, like year two, and just kind of putting us in there in media res. Like he's exactly who he needs to be. Like he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to be like so involved or, or I, cause I, I feel like this is like we said, this is the beginning right? where I feel like he would be kind of, maybe a little more involved and have a little more agency and kind of like skill building as we go on, because then, Oh, well we've been doing this for like five years. And like, and I kind of really know by now, like I, the first two years of their relationship is like building this trust, you know, between them. And of course he's still an officer. He's not commissioner at this point. He's, he's, he's still just a regular guy on the force. So he, he hasn't like built up to that position yet, you know? I will say though the 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 scene in the um, in the uh, interrogation room. With yeah, I was thinking is, about that one. Is uh, not not to because it, it's such a good scene, so I don't want to spoil anything. But it it is a good interplay and it is a good example of that relationship and that trust, and it's very mm-hmm. very well done. I, I we're sitting there and just like, oh, that's that's fantastic. I, I absolutely <laughs> love how that scene plays out. Um, and then we have Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. Uh, fantastic. I mean, yeah. like, like that's sadly, you know, you're going to hear that about every person that's in this film is they were fantastic. Every yeah. They did great job. Actor, actress, even, even, uh, 
you know, the the extras. Like, everyone does a really good job. The woman who mm-hmm. plays uh, Bella Rial, she's fantastic. Uh, even the mayor at the very beginning, even though he's got, like, two minutes <laughs> of a scene. <laughs> right. It's, it's very believable. Uh, you know, it's just everyone brought their a game and i know that that's part of you know matt reeves being a part of this as you know he knows how to bring those performances out or he knows what to do he's he's kind of becoming a stanley kubrick um in the sense of i saw something prior to going live uh they did one scene 200 times Oh man! To, to get the perfect take, and that just reminds me of the step scene in The Shining, which was like 237 takes or something like that. Um, and you know, again, like so, getting back to Zoe, Zoe does a really good Selena Kyle. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually far better than um, than uh, Anne Hathaway. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's far more believable. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, it's so much more, she is so much more believable in her Selena Kyle story in this movie than Anne Hathaway in that movie, like, well, by and, far. And, and part of the difference between Dark Knight Rises and this is th- you get her background. She talks yeah. about her mother. She talks about the club. And, mm-hmm. and like, that's, that's what I'm saying. There are very exposition-heavy scenes that, you know, if you got to get up and run to the bathroom, you might miss pertinent details like that. You might miss right. certain relationships that she has that are impacting certain scenes later on in the film. Um, and her, her choreography, like just her fighting with him at the, in the very first time they meet is mm-hmm. just very well done. Cause it's not even like he can overpower her. It's just, they match each other hit for hit for hit. Right. And I also think that, her fighting style makes sense yeah. for somebody who's like, obviously Zoe Kravitz is very tiny. She's, yeah. she's very, very slim. She's not like a, a beefy girl. Okay. You know, she, she looks like she's maybe a double zero, but her fighting style, like makes more sense that it focuses a little more on the heavy kicks with the legs and yeah. things, you know, than like I'm captain Marvel and I'm very tiny Brie Larson. And I punch something with my spaghetti arm stick, you know, like stick arm, and this whole thing explodes. And I'm just like, for me, that does not pass the suspension of disbelief. Like, I don't believe it whatsoever. Like, so her fighting style being a little more like heavy on, like, let's flip over and kick and like focus on that sort of thing. Just makes it more believable, at least for me. It's uh, it's speed versus brute force. And uh, right. Right. And she has to be a little more. And that's the, the difference between the, you know, the modern, um, souls video game player as i'm experiencing playing elden ring where i'm going in purely for a strength-based character to do the most damage whereas most people go for the more speedy characters to do shorter damage over time but can move around quicker and get around the big heavy hits so and and that again like you said it makes very much sense for that being her fighting style bruce is being more uh kind of brute force Mm-hmm. Um, especially later on in the film near the climax we're bashing the guy's face in. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it matches up really well. And I think that this does a really good job establishing that relationship, which, of course, again, this also reminds me of another thing it's taking its inspiration from, the Telltale's Batman video game. If you played that game, there are literal shots from this movie that are taken from that video game 
and also some little plot lines that are taken and put in there. So, like, again, it's all these little things that all culminate into this movie that make it really good for me and, and make me really enjoy the flick. Um, we have John Turturro as Carmine Falcone. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you Pat's thoughts on that was he was really happy to see John Turturro finally play like a serious character after so long. Cause he's mostly in comedies. His Carmine was terrifying. Um, I mean like, and he, he's not even in the film a whole lot either because of, uh, he's also kind of a recluse. He's constantly worried about being taken out by a hitman. So the other, right. yeah, the other competition. Um, and the only time he actually comes out is for the funeral scene for like the first time. It's the first time in the film we actually really see him. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it kind of gets bigger and bigger as the mystery unfolds. Um, and he is absolutely terrifying as Carmine. Never, you never see him without the glasses. He's always got the glasses on. As yeah. one thing, and it's just, it, 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 again, it's just really well done. A really strong performance. So uh, that really kind of leaves the uh, the villain, the Riddler, uh, played by Paul Dano, and he ain't Jim Carrey. Just, just, just to ward you off yeah, if, if that's what you were expecting. You ain't, you ain't getting it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, he's brutal. He is sadistic. Uh, let's, let's, let, let, let's, let's play it out this way. It is the Riddler meets Jigsaw from Saw. Uh, and I know you, I don't know. you would well, necessarily. I was, just, I was just thinking that while I was watching him in, in that movie, I was thinking it's reminding me a lot of Paul Bettany's performance as Bundy. Or or no, not as Bundy. Dang it, what is it? The Unabomber. Can't remember his name. I'm I'm getting them all confused. Oh, I But yeah. he played the Unabomber. Okay. And and I watched that uh, a few months ago. And it was just like really reminding me of that. Okay. Of that performance because and I I'm like I I can't remember the Unabomber's name right now. Kaczynski. Kaczynski. Yeah. Yeah. That he's a really very super intelligent person. uh, And Ted Kaczynski was a very intelligent person. And he went to college at like, I don't know, like 14 or 15, something like way too young away from his parents and anybody to like protect him when he went through this. I forget what it was. It was like the CIA or something. They were doing psychological tests and things on them. It really, really messed him up. Um, you know, just as one part of what makes a serial killer. Right, right. But um, but I was just getting a lot of that reminiscent of, like, he's really reminding me of Paul Bettany's performance from that. So that's what I was thinking. Well, I, I'm talking purely just uh, character aesthetics, like, with the traps and stuff like that. Like, it, it really fits if, you're, if you've seen this, uh, and I know you haven't because you're not a big horror fan, but if you've seen the Saw franchise, like, it's very much like, do you want to play a game? And uh, here's a trap that you're ultimately going to lose your life to. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to make an observation and this isn't like, of course, I'm not trying to disparage on anybody when I say this. Um, but this is the, this is kind of the idea I got from based off his performance. And, and it's not, um, and, and I don't know if this was what Paul was going for or not, but, uh, I, I liked it. Like, let me be clear about that. What I'm about to say, if it, if it's taken disparagingly, I don't really mean it that way because I actually enjoyed it. I got vibes from the performance that he is autistic in some 
aspect that he and not like full down syndrome or anything like that definitely on spectrum because you can have very highly intelligent people who are on the spectrum but certain mannerisms he has uh primarily near the end of the film um and he's kind of doing this high-pitched whine and and kind of this because i i think it's a sign of his mind he talks about like my strength is all up here Mm -hmm. and uh but yet like i I don't know. I that I don't know if you got that vibe or kind of that feeling, uh, but it, it was, was really certainly something that, it, 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 if if it was, it was well done because like it just felt like this was someone who was, who was trying to do something right, but not having a concept of how to do it right. Did, he did it by doing bad things, but in his mind, in his warped perspective of the world and of reality and of his upbringing. Uh, this was the way to do it. And so I, again, that might be reading too much into his performance, but yeah, I don't if, know. It, if it was, it was very well done and, and uh, applaud him. Cause again, this is taking a ridiculous character. Uh, let, let me, uh, while, while we're talking about this, I will see if I can go ahead and pull up a picture. If, if people aren't quite familiar of, what the Riddler typically looks like in the comic books. Um, well, here, here we go. We can pull this, pull this one up. Uh, of course, this this will be a reminder. Let's see, make sure this is all working over here. Um, that's a rem- that's a reminder of what we got in the nineties. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find um, the sixties Riddler too with the underwear. Uh, so over the front. So we get. Um, Yes, I'm trying to see if I can find that. But like we're we're getting you you got that. You get kind of here. This is not as great, but um Yeah, that looks like a drawn picture. Yeah, this is this is more of an artistic rendering, but uh Frank Gorshin's Riddler, you know, from 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 the 60s. Um you know, so he's not really a a very serious character, and I, I and I do think uh, like the show Gotham to kind of bring that up again uh, was was pretty good at giving us a little bit of a different Riddler. Uh, here's more from the kind of animated series. Uh, so you know, not a yeah, character, like the bowler hat. Yeah, not a character that is really meant to be taken seriously, and yet here. Um, see if I can go ahead and pull up a picture of him in this. Um, this is what you're getting now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's something completely different. Uh, it, it is definitely the serial killer, the kind of the gimp mask, the, uh, the wrap around the head. Uh, definitely. Of course, what, what, no one talks about in the film is this whole design, this whole costume is designed to leave no evidence. I mean, it's, right. it's per, like almost her, outside of, you can see some of his, uh, his wrists, wrist. but yeah. like he's almost hermetically sealed so that n- this would not, uh, you know, give any hint of his identity or clue. Um, but the, the, uh, the diner scene, albeit very short, very well done. Uh, 
I was sitting there thinking, what are we watching? Reacher? When he's like, I ordered, I ordered a pumpkin I pie. I ordered pie. You know? <laughs> um, and then the, um, the confession scene between him and Batman, it, it actually almost beats the dark Knight in, uh, in the similar circumstance when he's interrogating the Joker. This was far more insidious. Uh, there was also some moments where they, and without spoiling it, kind of pull the wool over your eyes and then you're like, Oh wait, what? You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, then you get the kind of, what is the setup for the whole final act of the film? Um, so this, this is doing a good job with, uh, with its characters and and with telling an interesting, uh, story and while also keeping it in that sense of, uh, grounded realism. Yeah. Um, And I think they picked, the right, um, because as I know, um, Batman has a huge vault of villains, but I feel like for wanting to start this side continuity, whatever, um, Batman, they picked the right character to do as a serial killer type, um, you know, which is a really good choice because, you know, your hero is only as good as the villain in the story. Like if you can have the best written hero, but if they have nothing to do, you know, the plot if they're not really fighting anybody interesting then it's not that good right. so i think they made a really good choice especially knowing that they kind of wanted to go more the film noir detective you know really focusing more in on that than all the fancy gadgets and things like that that he's he's a really good choice to be like oh the riddler and that kind of reminds you of like you know like people send in ciphers like zodiac and things like that like he's the right exact choice to have as the villain for this movie. You know, you, you mentioned uh, a key word in there that I saw uh, that some people didn't like about this film and that's detective. This is the first time because he is the world's greatest detective. Detective. You know, he was a fan of Sherlock Holmes as a kid and all that stuff. Like, and, and in the comics, we constantly see him be a detective. But we really like investigating and getting into stuff. And And the closest we got to him as a detective in the Nolan series was breaking down the bullets uh, in in the Dark Knight. Other than that, he was just an action hero. And Mm -hmm. uh, Ben Affleck's was a little bit more detective-y, but not so much. And then, of course, Michael Keaton's was more of a detective as well, but not even to the extent that this film, it shows him going through the whole process. Uh, it shows him also screwing up, which is all again <laughs> something Captain Marvel could never do. Um, it shows his own character flaws, especially being a year two story and showing he's still a rookie. And yeah. I'm thinking particularly of the gliding scene, which made <laughs> me hurt so much. But it, it's good at showing right. he's not adept at this yet. He's right. still learning. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what just makes us a good, e- even though it's it's an origin story, an origin story. Um, so let's go ahead as because we'll probably spend about the second hour on uh, talking about Picard. Let's go ahead and kind of wrap up our non-spoiler review of this. Um, story-wise, it's a mystery. Like I don't want to go too in depth. Mystery on thriller. It. Yeah, it, it is a mystery thriller. Uh, actually, even with the beginning. 
I was getting kind of horror movie vibes. Uh, yeah, know. I heard that he wanted to go for some horror vibes. Yeah. I'm like, I could feel them, but I there's nothing it, in there. If that scares you, there's nothing in there that's horror. It didn't. It doesn't like, overwhelm. Like it doesn't. Right. It doesn't lean too much into it. it. It as particularly in that beginning scene. Well, you're supposed to be creeped out exactly. in the scenes where you have it. Like, right. let's put it that way. Yeah, and, and and particularly the scenes of when he's talking about the bat signal and fear. And you have each of these criminals all kind of staring into this dark space, wondering, is he there? Is he there? Yeah. And and so like that's the real kind of like extent of horror that's really in this. And uh, yeah, it's definitely not something if you're not a horror person, uh, you you won't get turned off on it uh, because it doesn't overtly rely on it. It's very much crime, film noir. Uh, again people calling it boring because it, it's it's telling this crime story or let's 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 kind of get this out of the way too it's not political i don't care no. what anyone tells you about this film I, and if looking, you bring your politics with you you can find a way to make it political but right. there's nothing political uh, in there and for for example the daily wire cuz i can say them cuz i know we're were nothing to them so they wouldn't care <laughs> daily wire wrote uh well ben shapiro had his own personal view and then someone uh, some writer wrote an actual review and both of them were so wrong so so off on the mark and i get it reviews are subjective and yes if you bring something some personal bias into the movie prior it's going to be a problem like it, it just is that's that's kind of the the nature of the beast uh, but it, it, it's not political. It's much like, a. this is the example I gave to Pat in the car on the ride home. It's how Captain America Winter Soldier is fine being a political film because it's a political thriller. It's right. While being a superhero movie, this is a crime film noir film while being a superhero movie. So mm. anything that's in there about mass corruption or anything like that, <laughs> it's part of the crime story. It's part it, of the mystery. And it's very par for the course for Gotham Batman. Yes. yes. Anything. And, and well, okay. The, here's the, here's the one line that seemed to really set them off. There's a, an exchange between Selena and Batman where she talks about white privileged people, not white privilege, but white privileged but that's not atypical for the character of Catwoman because much like Black Cat in the Marvel Universe, she targets wealthy people to steal from. Those typically are people of privilege. That is what the line means. It's not talking about your skin color necessarily. It just so happens that the people in power in Gotham are white and they're privileged. It's all about the power structure that's there, and she wants to to steal from them. That's it. That's all the line is about. And it's one line out of a two hour and fifty six minute film, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it it literally didn't feel forced, didn't feel out of place, didn't feel like it was trying to push any type of narrative. And the film doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I I my other thing, my final thing on that is. I don't know how you're bored in this movie. I mean, there are moments where, yeah, you could have trimmed it down. I think the last 30 minutes could have ultimately probably been cut from the film, but it's setting up a story arc if they're going to do it in the sequel. I really think the only way you're bored in this movie is if you went in with expectations of 
superhero action hero movie, kind of like the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. If you went in with those expectations, I could understand if this not really your genre, like uh, film noir, gritty mystery, you would be kind of bored because this is not what this Batman movie is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it, not Marvel formula, superhero blockbuster, you know, explosions that you watched at like, Oh, we're going to have some fun at the theater, you know, I need some popcorn or whatever. That's not, that's not this. And, and, and quite frankly, and this is the thing that I wish DC would lean more into because it's what set them out against, uh, set them apart from the Marvel movies. The more serious, the more gritty they are. Like that's, that is the, that is the DC formula. And that's what Warner brothers has not understood is that, okay, you're not necessarily winning the Marvel fans, but you're winning the DC fans by them being serious movies. Cause this yeah. movie has zero jokes, but there are laughable moments in there. Right. I was going to say, there's a couple times. <laughs> like, I, I mean, Penguin being probably the most comedic of the characters in the film. And by the way, kudos, we didn't even talk about him. Colin Farrell, fantastic. Like, steals the show as Penguin in mm -hmm. this movie. Um, I'm really interested to see how his prequel show is going to be on HBO Max when, when that gets done. Um, but, uh, there are comedic moments. They know how to set up the moments without being the tongue in cheek joke of the MCU, which is something I always felt like set the DC movies apart from the Marvel movies. And as someone who likes both universes, I like my DC being dark and gritty and I like my Marvel being a little bit lighthearted. I don't want them necessarily to try to go into each other's lanes, which again, right. going back to Thor dark world, Man of Steel came out prior to it, and everyone kind of liked the darker Man of Steel a little bit. So they're like, "All right, let's 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 go a little bit darker with our character." And it was like, "Yeah, it didn't work because it yeah it doesn't fit." Um, so to go ahead and give my score, um, so you don't have to stick around for the spoilers part at the end of the show. Four, I think four out of five. Uh, Fanboy Amy wants to go with a straight five. But there are some issues, I wouldn't necessarily say with pacing, but it is a little overlong that you could have trimmed up a couple things um, and streamlined it just a tad bit more. But again, you're going into a Matt Reeves film, and Matt Reeves does not make short movies. So uh, that's, my, that's my score on it. What about you? Um, I would probably go ahead and give it a four and a half. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'd want to give it a straight five just for just, I didn't feel that, but for exactly what it is, a gr dark, gritty cr crime noir, film noir, l detective story focusing on Batman actually like being year two and actually like doing some detecting <laughs> without yeah. focusing so much on all the side stuff. Like we're just used to him being already being Bruce Wayne playboy and things like that. Like he doesn't, there's. There's, like, no fat on this movie whatsoever. Right. And I was just re-looking up what the rating was because I couldn't remember. It's PG-13. So unless you know that your younger teenagers can really handle the heavy themes, it's really not for them. No, it's it's not for kids at all. Again, another reason why I like the DC a little bit more is they're not trying to cater necessarily cater to a kid audience. Right. And I just think, you know, I'm trying to think of just like straight up normies and things like that. And you're like, oh, it's a Batman movie. Sure. I'll go send my kids or whatever. And then it's, this is not at all what you expected yeah. to get. Like, I don't, I don't know. 
this is not this is not just like let's go watch a superhero movie with my twelve year old or anything like that. I I'm just kind of surprised it was PG thirteen, but I guess there wasn't anything graphic enough to push it to make it an R rated film. It was kind of rumored prior to releasing that it might get an R rating. Um but I guess they must have he must have toned it down a little bit. And again, that's something that we've seen Marvel do it a little bit successfully and we've seen DC do it a little bit successfully. An R rating doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be just super uh, over the top unless you're Deadpool. Right. Like, well, I'm just thinking this could probably, um, and then people might think I'm stupid, but this probably could have gotten an R rating just for the heavy themes. Yeah. Like, you need to be at least 17, 18 years old to be able to really be able to watch this and handle those themes and the heaviness of, like, dealing with the grief and well, and, and all that thing, and not just be, and not be influenced by it, well, you know, with your forming little 12-year-old, 13-year-old mind. Even just with the Riddler's crimes, what he's right. doing to his victims. Like, it's, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it like, it's he- that's heavy. heavy and yeah. scary, yeah. So, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be gratuitous violence or gratuitous sex or things like that, just with, for the theming to be heavy and right. deep. Like, you know, but, I mean, for what it is, Four and a half. I thought it was really good. And do you want me to tell the theater story? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I... you know, you might you might as well because so she uh, she got to see this before before I did and yeah. uh, text me uh, was it was that last night or was that this morning that you had the you might be of the minority opinion was that this morning? oh that was that was this morning okay. because I knew you were seeing it today and I was like I'm afraid I'm scared that I'm in the minority opinion here because. I went and saw it yesterday, like during the day. Yeah. So, because I was trying to avoid an overly packed house, and again, it, it wasn't like super packed. I'm sure it was that night, because uh, it was Friday night. But um, in the morning, it it was probably like, I don't know, half full, let's say. So we were all sort of spread out and not like on top of each other. But no, the movie ends, and I'm telling you, the second that it turned to like credits are starting to go. The group behind me started laying into this movie. This was the worst movie I've ever seen. This is trash. That's not Batman. Somebody's getting fired. And, I mean, they were just going to town. And I was like, oh, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) know. Sinking down into my seat, like, turtling into my seat. Like, oh, dear. You you scared me because, like, you sent that. And I'm like, Well, I was afraid because I'm like, oh, no. Does that mean that, like... I like this and everybody else is going to hate it for some reason. I was thinking, I didn't know if you would hate it because you have the more of the comic background to yeah. like back things up for DC than I do. So I'm like, I'm more towards the normie side when it comes to DC. And I'm like, is there something in here that I just like totally missed and didn't realize or, you know, you, you, you know? bring up that interesting point. Cause I would have to say that those people that were, were complaining about saying it isn't Batman. They're the normies. Because they clearly, they clearly have not read or watched like the animated movies or read the comic <laughs> books, played the video games. Because I've listed off what, like 10 different examples of what they took storylines from and, from and melded in. And you got Easter eggs for the 66 show. I mean, you got the, the uh, statue head. And even his mask is, is reminiscent of Adam West with the stitching and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it is an amalgamation of of Long Halloween, uh, Year Zero, Year One. Uh, you know, it, it is all of these kind of different stories compiled into one coherent storyline. Batman Earth One, 
you know, the Arkham games. Again, like there's all of these different things that that really kind of come into play. And uh, oh, this is also one other thing I wanted to bring up too before I forget it. But I would guarantee that the people that were saying that are people who only have watched the movies, only know or appreciate Ben Affleck's Batman, which is funny because I remember when Ben Affleck was casted and we all hated the fact that he got casted <laughs> for it. And then he comes out and they're like, actually, he's really good as Batman. <laughs> Same thing here with Robert Pattinson. Wasn't too thrilled by his casting, was pleasantly surprised by his performance. Um, so I would say if you're familiar with the comics, you're going to understand this or appreciate this a lot more than someone who hasn't and might take that perspective on it. Uh, but yeah, I think if they came just with this perspective, I just feel like people do superhero movie and they come with a certain expectation and that's not what this movie is. Exactly. Because uh, this is one costume aesthetic. I'm not a huge, huge fan of the suit look. Um, I, I've never been a big fan of the body armor look for Batman. Like, I, that's... Like, costume-wise, Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck's Batman suits are the best-looking suits, in my opinion. Uh, but what I do like about this, and I kind of wish there would have been some exposition about this, his bat symbol. Well, of course, it's oh, yeah. detachable. But uh, it if you notice, the hand, the, the centerpieces look like handles. And it... Um, and I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, Matt Reeves explained about that design that those that that is the pistol or the gun that killed Thomas Harris. and Martha, and it's there as the constant reminder of why he's doing this. So I that's again another thing like that Matt adds to the character that I think elevates it amongst some of the other films. Um, so okay. We've talked about that. Spoiler stuff is for the end. So if you came here just to listen to us talk about Batman, get out of here. If you don't want to listen to <laughs> us talk about Picard, because uh, of course we really haven't talked about it uh, that much. I told you, I thought it was a good start to the season. And I think you told me, um, you told me something. I know that much. What but, about but we Picard? Yeah. But we didn't really, we both didn't really go into kind of details about what we thought about the episode. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it the second time. Like I normally did. Like yeah. when we did Picard season one, I usually got to watch it at least twice. Yeah. I didn't here. have that chance. Uh, so we're doing, we're doing this off the cuff this time. <laughs> um, so let, let, let's get this out of the way because I think you and I, as far as the sphere of people I've heard talk about the show, so I know we're not the only ones out there, but from the sphere of people I've heard talk about the show, uh, those people hate Picard. They thought <laughs> as they hated Picard season one, they thought it was counterintuitive to the character that it destroyed his legacy, that it emasculated him, uh, that they were just doing a whole big shit on Patrick Stewart and on Star Trek. You and I disagreed. Uh, we, we really liked it. We pointed out flaws. You know, we did have certain issues with certain story points and character motivations, but for the most part, we really enjoyed that journey. Uh -huh. We also didn't know we'd be getting at least three seasons of Picard as well, because kind of thought it was going to be a one-off, uh, especially with Patrick Stewart uh, being as old as he is. And yes, I hope he lives forever, but I'm, I won't live in that fantasy world forever. Um, I can't imagine this being 
a seven year running show or something like no. that. Like I, I feel I, like three kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think a third season, and they got to film it like now, like get it filmed, get it out of the way, just in case, because we saw what happened with like Carrie Fisher and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Get it, get it done now. End on end on a high note. End end this little trilogy of seasons, uh, and I think we'll. That's all we need. That's all we need from a Picard show. Um, so we really much we, we really enjoyed it. I kind of because it's it's been a while. It's been over over two years actually uh, since yeah. since we've revisited this. So I had a little bit of difficulty remembering certain characters' names, uh, not necessarily the plot because you know we we. We got kind of positronic body Picard, uh, you know. We got um, Soji as well uh, in wherever she's at. We got Agnes. Like I could, I could remember Rafi's name, but for some reason I couldn't remember Rio's name for the longest time of watching it. And we got Seven of Nine, and uh, I always want to call him Elrond, but it's Elnor. Elnor. <laughs> um, but I'm always wanting to call him call him that because it just. One, he kind of looks like Elrond. He so, does, yeah. You know, that's Lord of the Rings Amazon show. That's who you cast as a young Elrond, not whoever <laughs> you casted for the show. Um, but anyways, we, we we pretty much liked it, I think, to the, the chagrin of other people who wanted the show to fail because right. of Discovery uh, not being the best uh, re-entry into the Star Trek universe. Um, which I, I haven't watched the most latest season, but season three was kind of fixing some things while also creating some new problems. So I don't think Discovery's ever going to get it right. Uh, I had checked out a little bit of Prodigy, and I liked what I had seen. I love that uh, even though it's animated, you know, they still got Kate Mulgrew back to do uh, a, an AI hologram of Janeway, and so they can still make her look like Janeway from Voyager, even though, you know, she's... She's up there now. She's not a spring chicken like she was in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, so I, I think that they're trying to get to a right place with Star Trek. I think they're trying to correct. And Picard was the first step uh, in that. And I feel like season two of Picard, while I have some concerns from what we see with the trailer of what the season's going to be about, episode one was a great start. In general, it was, it was yeah, it was a nice opener. Um, and and if you're familiar with our Picard reviews, we usually go beat by beat. But we're, since we're doing this yeah. again <laughs> off the cuff, it's not going to be completely uh, p- completely correct. But uh, to give the premise of the episode, uh, Starfleet must once again call on legendary uh, Jean-Luc Picard after members of his former crew, Cristobal Rios, Seven of Nine, Rafi, Doctor Agnes Girardi, discover an anomaly in space that threatens the galaxy. What I really appreciate about this episode is also the episode's title is Stargazer. <laughs> and the fact that they kept kind of this, you know, outside of updating it, they kept the original design of the Stargazer that Picard first commanded. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, shoot. It, it, it cath- not cathartic, but. Um, or maybe it is cathartic. Just, but just the fact, like when you see Picard go back on the Stargazer and kind of reminiscing about his first command, and it, it was just really nice uh, to, mm-hmm. to see that. Um, but yes, it it opens up in media res. 
we got something really bad happening on the Stargazer. Uh, this right. was a, this was like what I told you. I tried to start it right uh, while I was working on. Um, it would have been uh, Friday, no Thursday morning, because it, it premieres on Thursdays and it's on Paramount, so I don't have to wait till it to go up on on Paramount. Um, I turned it on, and within the first like minute, I was like, "Nope, I've got to be sitting <laughs> down watching this," because you know you got the red alert flashing, you got people running, you know, like okay, something's going down. I need to be paying attention to this, and uh, we see something. Obviously, you know, big spoiler, but Borg, uh, obviously, you know, because what else is going to be attacking computers in this form and fashion uh, and taking over the ship? Uh, And then Picard announcing the self-destruct sequence, and we're back at the beginning of the story. Um, The, I don't, okay, uh, this, this will be interesting to hear from you. Okay. I don't know how I feel about the Laris Picard thing. Um, I just, I feel like I need them to explain what happened with Beverly. Yes. Because, I mean, uh, yeah. Our, the movie, our canon or head canon here. Right. Like, I'm trying to remember in order. I'm like, I know that like, in was it like the end of season seven and we go in the future and they were married and then mm-hmm. divorced. Like, and I can't remember how we ended it with the movies just right off the top of my head, which is why I normally like watch twice it, and like it, uh, research it things. It did not. It did not end with them necessarily in a relationship. It. it I know the beginning of Insurrection starts with, uh, uh, or no, Nemesis. Sorry, um, with uh, the marriage of Riker and Troy. So, and Troy. Yeah. So uh, we never just, got that marriage in there. The thing that I need to happen before I see Jean-Luc moving on with somebody else is what happened between him and Beverly. Yes. Because it doesn't bother me that he gets another love interest or whatever. And, you know, and like, oh, she's a widower, widow, widow now, I guess, because her husband died that we saw in season one. Right. Um, that does None of that really bothers me. It's just that you didn't give me anything about what happened with Beverly. And she's very much been his very constant, like he's in love with her like they have something going on it's it's always been the will they won't thing. Yeah, yeah like and and i need an explanation for that for in universe because of wherever we left it versus the season seven um when q took him to the future you know what happened there like i need an explanation for what actually happened to this point yeah before we're like, okay, yeah, now he's in love with Laris. Like, he can be in love with her. I don't care. But you didn't give me any... I, I just needed something. Yeah, because uh, we, we have no idea if even Beverly is still alive. Right. Um, like, did she just pass away and he never got the chance and he's sad about it? Like, Which would, would make more sense because, yeah. like, that was the one person who he really kind of let himself get more attached to. Uh, and I feel like they missed the opportunity to do that when he goes and sees um, Guinan. Yes. Like, that would have been the place for, like, Guinan to say something about Beverly or whatever, and they could have talked about it there. That would have been the place to give that to me. Yeah. And they didn't do that. Right. Yeah. It was It was one of those things where it's like, you had plenty of opportunity. And, and again, like, I don't feel like, like, I don't have necessarily an issue with them having a relationship, but it doesn't feel fully earned because we haven't yeah. spent enough time with Picard and Laris on their own 
to even see that he might have developed feelings. Like you can make the argument, well, they lived on the, you know, the, the winery forever or whatever. And, uh, or the chateau. Yeah, but rather. she was married. Yeah, you right. Know, to like, the, like, <laughs> it's it, it's just not because again we got a gap of time, right? So I would assume yeah. that uh, it's I I'm assuming like two or three years because Elnor's a cadet. Right. So I would say probably since it's been two years in real time, I have assumed two years have passed in Showtime. at least. Yeah. Um, because heck, one thing I didn't mention is Rios is the captain of the Stargazer, and. Mm-hmm. By God, I'm, I'm surprised Starfleet allows him to get away with a cigar. Cigar. <laughs> but I love it. Let, let's be clear. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. It's it is Captain's so privilege, and it and it's characteristic for his character. Like it, it, that's that's what we saw him on on the La Serena, um, and and that was even something too. It was really I, I really enjoyed was like Seven's reintroduction, and you know she's been using using the ship, and she merged all the AIs into one to one, and and it's I don't know. I just I really like that. I don't know sequence. if I like that she merged them all because that was fun to see him in different. It it was probably a logistics reason. Yeah, you know, uh, but at the same time, like I thought it was a very fun interplay. Like they 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 really play off really well with each other. Um, and then I didn't quite get what. Gerardi's um station is on the stargazer like well i think she's just chaperoning um soji as she goes around and like is a diplomat for synthetic life forms she's kind of chaperoning her okay i I mean it would make sense but i i I kind of figured maybe like chief scientist or something well no because they asked her to come on board to take a look oh that's right that's right when they she wasn't part of it she was with soji wherever oh they were on they were on the Delton planet. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's they were on they were. the Delton. Um, which okay, so let let me uh, let let me let me see uh, how it, how stupid are Starfleet and even Doctor Girardi to not catch. So they they obviously we've got this Terran space that kind of opens up as we're talking about. We're jumping all over the place, uh, but there's a Terran space that opens up, tachyons involved and all that stuff. They get a message is coming through. It's coming in as a screech. They realize it's multiple languages, not one language, and they're well, all and saying all the same layered, thing. right? Yeah. Uh, how they not know that that was the Borg? I mean, this is this is part of the writing that I feel like they just yeah. wanted to they they wanted to rush it a little bit. Be like, let's introduce the threat. Let's get it over. Let's get. We need to get Picard on the ship so let's let's create i'm wondering this. if it's just been long enough that because we pretty much left the borg how um um kate mulgrew left them you know voyager i'm thinking like well, when but, Rafa's... We still had, but we still had the the relic and everything uh that they researched uh, that they had the researchers on with hugh in season one of picard so i i mean i get what you're saying it's it's been a time yeah, like, app, and not not all we've these had people, that attack, and not all that, these people were involved in Wolf three five nine. So, it, it, well, yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm thinking the ending of Voyager was in in the future of that. No, mm-hmm. no, yeah. that that that's how it. So Voyager, it, because I mean they functionally handicapped the Borg at well, the end there, right? But and that's why you have the relic in season one. But I mean, still, I. I 
again, it's a generational thing, I guess. Like you, you are dealing with the next next generation in a sense. So these are people who didn't mm. actively have to fight the Borg. Right. I'm just yeah. I'm thinking like it's been a while for everybody since they've had to do anything with the Borg. Because yeah, we have the relic, but I, I'm thinking like as far as like the Borg in mass have not been out because we've well, and you know how of how Delta. we left them. They're right. in the Delta Quadrant too. So that's right. That but also... she had she had done that virus right you know so like they're they were like functionally i i don't see how they would have recovered well enough you know to really to really be doing anything and and like attacking and things like that because like we see we see the relic but that's kind of it and and i mean and it doesn't take them long but i i would have thought that like almost immediately you're hearing this multi-layer voice as your mind should go okay this is probably borg but well, it should I, be at least the possibility yeah. that the officer plays with. Yeah. Right. Um, also, I didn't quite understand the resilience of the Bajoran uh, officer when like, he's like, Oh, let, you know, yes, you can go over there and check out it. And she walks over there and like the Bajoran is like, you're not touching my station. And I'm like, what's that about? Like that, it, it just seemed really, really weird to, to be that kind of res- uh, hesitant towards her. Um, but yeah, we also, you know, Picard does his little, his little speech. We even even get to see a very, very, very young Picard, um, a very different Picard uh, as a young boy. And we get to meet Picard's mother, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a very poignant uh, story point that, especially when he talks, talks to uh, Elnor and then also, uh, the the graduating class of cadets or whatever their whatever the the ceremony is uh it was very very kind of interesting because we we haven't seen that side of picard not that i don't think we'll get a whole lot of that maybe 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 we will maybe we won't but later on down uh with the the rest of the season um and basically from there like we're we're hitting the highlights uh, of the episode uh for the most part uh, you know, everyone's doing well. Everyone's back in Starfleet. You know, he's even back. Uh, he's been reinstated as Admiral, although he's kind of like Admiral in name only. Uh, <laughs> gets to kind of live his normal life, but show up for ceremonies. Um, Rafi is a commander. You know, we we already talked about Rios as um, uh, as a captain. Girardi's yeah, Rafi doing... and Elnor are on the Excelsior. Yes. Uh, did you catch the the uh, the Sulu, the Hikaru Sulu ship? Yeah, I I heard the name, but I didn't know where they were going. Like... Right, didn't know where they were going, but I caught the name. And I was like, ah, that's cool. I like that. I like that. Uh, and I also like the little joke of the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> you yeah. Know, I'm, I think of changing it up. I always hated that test. Um, I think, I mean, it... One of the big things that I took away just from this episode was that I like, like, season one, how we have the Borg and we have the Romulans, and that's kind of our focus. And we're kind of just playing there and within that thing with Data and Soji and things like that. That this episode, like, opening out to the season, like, we're looking at Q and the Borg, and that's like... Q and the Borg go together like hand in hand in hand. Of, since he's the one who introduced us to this villain, it's all his all fault. those years ago. <laughs> so I, I really like that we're doing another classic, the Next Generation, like sticking with the Borg, classic villain for them, and then bringing Q into the mix. So it's right. like I I really really like that. So uh, so we'll we'll go ahead and we'll kind of jump jump almost to there because there's really 
outside of kind of those heavy moments we've talked about with, uh, you got the message, the, the Borg want to be a part of the Federation, which, <laughs> you know, I, I agree with Picard, but I agree with seven as well. Like I, I'm, I'm like, you're both right, but you're both <laughs> wrong. Like you should give them the chance because we don't know what's changed with them all of this time. But you also shouldn't give them the chance because they're the Borg. So, right. you know, it's like, it's like, ah, which one's right? Obviously, well, kind of from what we understand, um, the, you know, Seven was right. Because uh, little, you know, kind of a little plot point that we, we oversaw was that the Stargazer has some Borg technology in it. So mm-hmm. when the, the emissary or whatever it is kind of comes on board, it's then hijacking the other fleet. I will have to say, uh, I, I laughed out loud. When they realize, uh, or uh, is it, it's when they want to send the emissary or something. Like, once once kind of the ship has kind of come through, they've confirmed 100% it's the Borg. Uh, it, it's cuts for Paramount for a commercial if you're paying for the, uh, if you're only doing ad uh, ad pays for it. Um, and I do ad free. But when it came back from the commercial break, you got all the ships warping in. And they're all standing there creating their battle line. I'm like, <laughs> They learned their lesson, kind of. <laughs> you know, it didn't didn't quite work out with them. But anyways, jumping kind of back up, uh, found it very interesting that she was only stunning everyone that was shooting at her rather than killing, because uh, it means that there's more to what's going on. So it may not be as nefarious as it presents itself to be. But Picard right. initiates the self-destruct. Self-destruct happens. Picard wakes up. With God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's got kind of a different Starfleet badge. Mm -hmm. He's kind of trying to figure out what's going around. Everything doesn't quite look right. The Chateau doesn't look right. Um, And then we hear the voice. And I loved it when I hear the words, Mon Capitan. (laughs) And two people... we talked about this um, kicking my desk. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Um, need to hit that to, uh, to people. Cause I saw this in a comment section who said they've already ruined Q because Q does not age. They had you people in mind for this because as soon as Picard turns around to the sound of the voice, we see Q and he's Young how Q. he's always looked. Yeah. And he goes, oh, it looks like you've put a few miles on you. Let me catch up. And now he's old, which mm-hmm. is like we talked about before recording. You mentioned a very cute thing to do. A very cute thing to do for his character. Very. And also, just because Q doesn't age doesn't mean he can't present himself like anything that he wants. Right. If he wants to look like a glass of water, if he wants to look... Like an ancient, you know, whatever. He can look and present himself as absolutely anything. Established day one when we met the character. He can look like anything. So it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Like, why does it matter? And, of course, like you said, immediately he's like, oh, let me just catch. And he just immediately ages himself. I mean, why not? What else would he do? Well, they even did it with Guinan, too. Because, like, he even makes the point of saying to Guinan, like, hey, you guys don't age. Uh, the same way and she's like well only if we choose to and she goes and that was people were getting uncomfortable with me looking the same so i aged myself up like you know they at least 
took that into consideration like yeah does it feel like a little you know ham-fisted to have to write in an explanation like Hughes <laughs> is 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 more like okay yeah it makes sense guidance mm-hmm. it's like okay you had to write it in there because Whoopi isn't Whoopi from the 80s you know right we all age we all either get fatter or get slimmer you know it just yeah and you don't want to have to constantly be spending your budget on doing cgi makeup like and and with even with young q two seconds that they had to have him de-aged and Mm -hmm. they're fine you know and it was like okay we've got it fixed we got it addressed so uh like i had said to you in messages very good start very Mm -hmm. good start to the season We've got Q showing up just at the very end enough to, you know, make you want to come back for that next episode to see John Delancey's performance. Um, and definitely has me interested in where the season goes. Now, my concern is because I've never been a huge fan of even these episodes of Star Trek in general, whether it be Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Next Generation, even the original series. I do not want to spend 90% of the season in the past. So I don't want to spend so much time in 2042. Cause that's oh, when they're going to 20. Cause okay. They, cause as we get from the, the previews, right? The previews of what's to come to this season. Q has changed history. Cause again, this is all part of the trial. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Cause as he says, trial never ends. Trial never ends. Um, but you know, he's changed something. So the world isn't, it, it, it's not the Terran empire. It's not the mirror universe, but it's very similar. It looks like from just what we see from, from the, the previews for the season. And they have to go back to 2042 to fix what Q altered. Right. So I just don't like, I think it's going to be fun. I like uh, kind of like them, like Rios is getting his picture taken at, at, at a police station and trying to like figure out what this is all is. And, uh, but I just don't want them to spend, I think we're getting, what, what did we have last season? Eight, 10 episodes. Um, and how many episodes are we getting? Uh, I would assume it would be very similar. Uh, so we had 10 episodes last season. So I would assume 10 episodes this coming season. Um, uh, is set to premiere. We'll run for ten episodes. Yeah. So, I'm fine with a max of three to four at most being set in the past. I just do not want them to over rely on it. Uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know because I feel like in the past we've had like maybe two parters mm-hmm. that were that were in the past, so that's probably not bad. I don't want to spend a ton of time in just trompsing around their, basically their mirror universe, you know, whatever they're going to call it. Just because I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I want to understand what's going on with this Borg thing that came over to the ship. Like we even got, we even got images of Alice Krieg's uh, Borg queen too. Yeah. Like she's going to be back. I'm more interested in what's going on there than I am. What thing they have to fix in the past for Q, honestly, so I feel like it's going to be related somehow because Q usually does something like that. Right. Like that they're going to, the two storylines will connect somehow. But I just, I want to figure out what's going on there because my only concern for the season is, did you catch that line when he's, when we have the young boy Picard, you know, and then in his speech where he says, his mom always told me, look up. 
So when he's right there by the board emissary thing, oh, yeah, it looks at him and says, look up. And I'm like, now, was that something in his head or did the Borg thing say that to him? And are we going to be like, oh, it's his mom. See, and I'm I, like, I have a feeling it is going to be that. I have I'm it. not sure if I want that. Face? Right. Like, I'm not saying I want it, but why hide the face? Because yeah. I was assuming it was actually the Borg queen. Right. Until that line. And I'm like, okay, how are we going to work an explanation around that and not force yeah. it? Because I, like, so I, I think what... Well, yeah, like, how do you have the explanation? How do you have a woman who t- supposedly never left the planet? Right. With the Borg somehow? Right. Like, I, I don't, there's, there's a whole bunch there that I'm like... I'm not sure that I want it because there's a lot you've got to do to make it. Well, and we still work. don't even know what the rift is. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's not, a, it's not a board cube. So, um, it, it, we have no idea. And, uh, kind of what you were talking about with like the two parters, this is kind of how I see it going. I see next week's episode being a full mirror universe, uh, episode where they next, figure out what they have to fix. The next two to three are probably going to be in the past. And then the rest of the season is coming back and trying to finish the storyline uh, with the Borg and with Q. So we'll see. Um, but again, you know, that's those are just fears of what we don't know yet is to come. It's just what mm-hmm. we've seen from the short glimpses they provided right. in the trailer. But overall, um, I, I like the episode. I think it was a great start to the season. It even seems like on IMDb, people are actually enjoying it and actually liking it. So, you know, I'm hoping people enjoy this season maybe a little bit more. Um, Maybe they have more of a defined plan of what story they want to tell and not mix a lot of different plot lines like they did in season one. Uh, Especially now that you have kind of the crew already assembled. We know who the crew are. We know their motivations. We know their characters. So they don't have to reestablish that for, for this season. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see what comes, and we'll be covering it uh, like like we normally do. So to to score the episode, I think I'm going to give it a, a, a solid um, four. Okay. And and you. I was thinking like three and a half, okay. just because you know, I'm not like outstanding. It's just a solid opener. But it it, like... it it is kind of just yeah. It's nice to have Picard back. You know? Yeah, it's, it's it's that kind of comfort comfort food. Like Patrick Stewart's in it. I'm probably going to watch it. Um, although I will say, like, I I would I would retire soon. I you know. Not like his acting's not bad, but he just you hear it, you hear it in the voice, you hear the age, and it's it's one of those things like just enjoy the rest of the time you've got left. But I, I again, I don't need like seven seasons of Picard and worry right. every year. Oh no, is he going to pass away? You know? <laughs> like I, I just. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but since we also were talking about Star Trek, did you hear the news that they are actually going forward with uh, Star Trek four with the original cast of like Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine? No. Yeah. They, they are in the works. Uh, I think pretty much everyone's back. Uh, the only person that they have to convince is Chris Pine. Um, only cause I think it caught him off guard too, that they were like, Oh yeah, we're just going to go ahead and do a fourth one. <laughs> like just completely out of the blue after all the other ones kind of failed. And then their original plan for four kind of just disappeared. Tanked, and, yeah. And Quentin Tarantino was going to make an R rated 
Star Trek movie. That... Well, and then they had Anton Yelkin pass away, and yeah, that that I I don't know how they're going to work around that. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Chekhov is just going to be dead. So I that or they're going to get someone else. I don't know. I mean, I don't. No, I'm not saying I, I, I want would, that. I really no. I would that. rather they just say that he died yeah. in in or, the. Or Battle even just or say, um, just say he's uh, he's on some long mission, you know. Just, <laughs> just that's that's where he's at. He's serving on this other ship an uh, indefinite period of time or some such. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how that goes because, uh, you know, that's I like those movies as much as you know we have an issue with with Discovery, um, Star Trek with them and JJ Star Trek rather in that sense uh never really did anything bad by Star Trek in my opinion um, no I think it was very smart to start out with establishing it's a second universe yeah and then it doesn't have to like really fill all those expectations of like that that was the mistake discovery made right they tried to say this is where it's set and it does not just in any fit. way fit. So they, like, from right off the bat, establish, well, of course, you, you get it officially confirmed for you, you know, when they're like, we've created an, you know, an alternate timeline, blah, 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 explained to you by Spock at a later point in it. But we, we start the bat off with creating an alternate timeline. Right. So it doesn't matter. You know, and, oh, yeah, you know, and he likes a lens flare or whatever, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the look looks exactly like the 60s. Right. Like, some of the things, the complaints about when people have updated um, sets and things like that just kind of boggle my mind because I'm like, do you think in the 60s that if they had access to that, they wouldn't have used it? Right. Like, that they wanted to have a thing of Christmas lights? Like, <laughs> they were trying to do, you know, and have this vision, but they couldn't bring it to fruition. That's, like, part of the reason why when we did our Dune review, it's like they finally have technology to make it not look ridiculous you know you know you bring up that that point too um remember how the borg shield looked when they show up in next generation it was very much yeah. like how it, it looked in dune yeah uh, now this time it looks like they actually have an actual shield that doesn't look blocky or blurry you know right. it, it it looks legitimate much like dune um so yeah it, it's it's one of those things that i think um and I will say what I did like that Discovery did in season two, and it has actually nothing to even really do with Discovery because they're, it's going to be a, another show um, with Anson Mount as Pike. When they bring the Enterprise in on Discovery, they actually, for the most part, and let's see if I can pull up a, a picture here. Um, let's see. They did a really good job with the bridge design um, for it. Let's do a Star Trek Discovery Enterprise bridge. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Is that it? That doesn't look like it. I guess that is it. That doesn't seem right, though. No, this is it. This is more like it. I guess that is the same picture but it doesn't look as good. It's a better angle. Yeah. Um, the other one. So let me get over here for anyone watching. It's, uh, how do I zoom in? I can, I'm in, I'm a boomer. Just say that. Uh, well, anyways, but setting? like, uh, I, yeah, well, I'm using, uh, 
I'm from using, a browser. Yeah, yeah, I'm using Brave browser, so it's it's not as easy to. Well, I think the other picture was a better angle. Uh, so let's let me switch us back over here and pull just that to, back up. to be able to see the familiarity or... to the to the other one. That one, yeah. yeah. And that one should to the sixties one. So like you have the you have the bars, you have mm -hmm. the red center console, you right. have the you know, so like this looks the red turbo doors right. in the back. It looks turbo lift doors. It looks it looks more like the original series but updated versus right. what you get in JJ Trek. Uh but again, like as we as you talked about with the kind of alternate timelines, I'm fine with that. And I'm perfectly fine with this. Um, mm -hmm. That's this is one thing I will say. Discovery got right was this bridge. Um, not much else. Discovery got right except being smart and going, "Hey, we're just going to go ahead and jump 900 years into the future, so we can't screw with canon anymore." Right. Oops. There we go. Um, so, all right, that we have covered the Batman. We have covered Star Trek Picard season two opener so if you do not want to hear spoilers for the last 20 minutes of the podcast uh on the, the batman, batman um tune out now uh we appreciate you stopping by or listening to this on on replay uh whether <laughs> you're why you're whether you're listening to audio only or uh watching us on youtube replay we appreciate it uh be sure to you know share this out with your friends if you like our takes and make us more well known don't forget, we got Patreon. We'll be getting back to Daredevil Season 1 Watch Along. Uh, we still have to plan our Parks and Rec series as well. So more content to be coming there. Um, so definitely go check it out and, and join. Uh, all right. So you've been warned. Leave now if you don't want the Batman spoilered for you. All right. Eat a quick snack. <laughs> yeah. Eat a quick snack or just tune out. You know, you know that, that's, that's your other option. Um why don't you go ahead and, and lead it off? What what did you oh, want to talk about? Oh, of right course, when right. I got half a cookie in my mouth. I wasn't looking at the camera. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, no, I'll go ahead and talk 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 first while while you finish. Oh that. no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Go ahead. <laughs> I was like, right as I'm trying to chew it up and swallow it, half a cookie. So we call a sandbag. Um, okay. So spoiler review for the Batman. Um. I loved it. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> not a spoiler. We, we already talked about that in the first hour. No. Um, when we were talking about how this movie shows you things and doesn't have to tell you things, like there are so many scenes just in the first, like, like half hour that just completely show you the story. So you, that he doesn't have to spend a ton of time, even though there are scenes with exposition, mm -hmm. you don't have to spend a ton, a ton of time. So that, that scene when Gordon is walking him in to um, the crime scene where the mayor has been killed and the reaction on all the police, their face, like tells you immediately that this isn't normal. Right. Tells you immediately that they don't just normally see him walking around and like what's going on. They're like, should we arrest? Should we not? But Gordon's walking him in here. You know, like it's things like that that just... Like, it does so much work. That's why I was like, people study this. <laughs> this is what we, when we want you to show and not tell. Right. Like, this is perfect. Like, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of other spoilery things that that I really did like. So let me let me ask you about this so, since we're talking spoilers here, and I want to see what your thought was because it's it's counter to what we're normally uh, presented with when it comes to the Waynes. What did you think about them not being perfect? I was okay with it because it it, it them being perfect is cartoony. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very cartoon thing that your parents are perfect Boy Scouts, perfect Girl Scouts, you know, never do anything wrong. And I don't really feel like that's reality. And for DC that likes to try and be reality and a little more gritty, like, that's very cartoony and, like, marvel-y, you know? <laughs> like, to have your parents be perfect. So the fact to me that like, I think the truth, you know, one of those, like the truth is somewhere in between two people's perspective of the story. Yeah. When we get what Falcone tells them, Falcone versus when we get what Alfred tells them, I feel like the truth is right in there in, in that middle spot of like, I don't think he had Thomas had bad intentions. I think a situation got away from him. Yeah. So that's what I think. I'm still slightly confused about why it was so desperate to hide what was going on with Martha's family. So like did they you... explained they explained a little bit, but they didn't. So did you miss the whole part her. about like? Well, like, no. So... I mean, I saw her in asylums and okay. stuff, and that okay. she's an Arkham. But I'm like, none of that sounded like political suicide to me. In so in that that's way. that's what Alfred I think clarifies is it wasn't about the politics. It was just that he it was purely to protect Martha and to protect Bruce. To I guess just to protect her reputation. Yeah, like he, I he guess. just didn't want he just didn't want her past problems to kind of be be brought out. Yeah, brought out, paraded while because he is running for mayor, which is like, you know, I've I've, I've had family members, I've had people tell me you should run for local office and i'm like uh-uh no. uh-uh i mean i ain't bad but i don't need people digging into my life like because that's what right. it's going to result into is they're going to find something right they're going to grab like, onto Ooh. something you said when fifth grade <laughs> mm-hmm. especially especially in the world we live in right now where everything mm-hmm. is hyper sensationalized and you don't like you said you don't even really know what's more of the truth it's more of what's somewhere in between versus what your your opponents are saying versus what you're saying um so uh, that that was in and i like that they leave that kind of ambiguity there because i'm still of the mind that falcone did not murder like it probably crossed his mind to murder thomas and martha mm-hmm. and it wasn't maroney but that it was just a petty criminal because that's what makes it more tragic is yeah, even I though like these forces were out there yeah this random guy joe chill wanted money and pearls needed cash yeah. yeah and that's what took him away yeah i like that they left it ambiguous uh, ambiguous <laughs> i can't say the word ambiguous i like that they didn't just spell it out for right. you like especially alfred scene there when he's talking to him and telling him like his his side of the story of like I, you know, if I wish I had that answer and I wish I knew, you know, yeah. like, and because they don't have that answer. They don't know, you know, because it makes sense. It makes sense for Maroney to have done it. It makes sense for Falcone to have tried to do it. Like, and, and nobody knows. And it could just be, you know, Joe Schill. Yeah. On the street. Like, nobody really knows. And, and uh, 
Oh, go ahead. Finish what you were going to say there. Well, I was just like, like you said, like that's really good, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't do like or take away from their story for me. And um, Thomas and Martha being not perfect, like cherub angels, like doesn't hurt the story in any way for me. It sounds like, I mean, I don't feel like they established for us how bad the city was before. Yeah, but it sounds to me like it got really bad when he died, and everybody could make a power grab for that renewal money, right. like in it was like a billion dollars, I think they said something like that. It was, re- so it was that, ridiculous. Yes, yeah, so that billion dollars, not having a Lucius Fox to watch over it, um, you know, really feels like that turned it and really tanked the city. Yeah, right there. So it's because I I don't I don't feel like they had any establishing like. You know, Gotham's been crap for 50 years or anything like that, like for us in the movie. Right. So um, this is where a lot of the um, like when I'm talking about the different influences into what the story is, uh, the Telltale Batman game. Uh, I believe it's is it called The Enemy Within. I think that's what it's called. But anyways, um, what that what that story did was reveal to Bruce that. Thomas was kind of involved with the mob and with Falcone. And it was like one of the first times. And so, you know, if there's someone who's more in uh, inside on the lore of Batman and, and the comics and stuff that know this, that it's been done uh, more in the past, that that was like the first time that someone tried to change the story a little bit and go, yeah, they weren't perfect. They were a little bit corrupt too, because mm-hmm. that is what is something that's so earth shattering for Bruce because you know, he's a kid and we all think our kids uh, as kids, our parents are perfect. our heroes. Like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're our heroes. They never do anything wrong. They always know what to do. They're doing the right things. And then as of course, as we become adults, we realize it's not they're true. Just, they're just grown up versions of kids who just don't, who are just trying to function out there, you know, and just trying to get mm-hmm. by. And uh, you find yourself in a situation like that where, you know, Thomas did something, that no other doctor would have done for Falcone had Falcone shown up on anyone else's doorstep. So he went with good intentions to be like, Hey, I just need this to be hushed. Right. Yeah. And a uh, little innuendo there with hush. And I will explain <laughs> here in a minute. Um, and Falcone took it too far because Falcone wanted Thomas in his pocket. Like right. It was him seizing that moment. So it was a good man, a good desperate man, relying on a bad uh bad, bad man. man who is looking for every advantage he can get and a right. terrible and situation like, coming out of it well and exactly what alfred said that was his mistake yeah. that was the mistake of trusting that he was gonna not like play by the rules that you had set in your mind right when you should have known like falcone's not gonna do that right uh so the hush thing i was referencing so the reporter that thomas knocked off but didn't really knock off it was all falcone is edward elliott and the way that hush comes up on the screen is more of a reference to hush the uh villain in the comic books and so where i you know pat and i were speculating that this edward elliott is the father of dr tom uh thomas elliott i think is his name um anyways a character in the comics who seeks revenge on Bruce and Batman. So it's like setting up another potential character. We talked about like Easter eggs and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, The other big 
Um, spoiler to kind of really talk about is um, we kind of have the Joker. Yeah, and I was not entirely certain that's who it was at first until the scene kind of continued and played out. Yeah. And we had the laugh. I mean, then I kind of felt like I'm not sure how I feel about it. Just because I'm like, obviously we've already had a Joker because we have the Joker gang from right. the beginning of the movie. So I'm well, just kinda... I don't know if they're the Joker gang at the beginning. Well, I, I, don't I know. feel like I feel like you're supposed to kind of go with that assumption, especially given that we have the Joker in in prison. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Like the one idea that I heard was to have it be like old man Joker in the prison. Like, and and not do another, because I it's one of those where I feel like this character has been done to death, mm-hmm. because it's so, he's so popular of a villain. Like, it's been done to death in all the animated, it's been done to death in live action, and I'm just kind of ready for them to go a little deeper into the, to the villain, to, to the, what I'm just trying to say villain and rogue gallery at the same time. <laughs> I want them to go a little deeper into the rogue gallery and maybe pull from there instead of constantly just like, oh no, it's the Joker. Like, eh. You and I disagree there, but that's me. Well, I just kind of feel like we've seen it so much that it's kind of like, wouldn't you like to breathe a little bit before we have a big climactic Joker thing? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I do have some clarification to add on there for you um, because I was reading this uh, article uh, after I got home from the movie. Um, So this is not necessarily full Joker yet. This is proto Joker. And there was a prior, there was an additional scene that was filmed that he cut that he will release later on um, where while Bruce is trying to profile the Riddler, he goes and visits him in Arkham to kind of a la Hannibal Lecter uh, get into the Riddler's mindset. So it was to establish that they had already had a run in. So even if that is the Joker gang at the beginning, well, this is kind of why, because uh, Batman already kind of had the the fight that leads to the disfiguring or whatever for Joker. Uh, he just isn't Joker quite yet. Um, and so it's it's not even saying that Joker is because he he didn't say if that's who they plan on having for the second film. But what this really was, since this wasn't an origin story for Batman or for Bruce, it was an origin story for the rogues gallery. And that scene was purely to establish a connection. And that's the whole riddle with the friend, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be really interesting moving forward. Uh, because I think another thing that they talked about is like the, the smile is going to be more of a genetic defect uh, that he is born with rather than something caused by ACE chemicals to kind of, <laughs> again, keep it more in that realistic realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I'm going to get his last name wrong, but it's played by Barry Kogan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who you will know from Eternals as the Eternal who mind controls the village. Okay. So that's this, it's the same actor. Uh, Cause it was kind of bothering me of like, I was trying to figure out who it was because you don't get a really good look at him. Yeah, you, you don't, get that you don't see him. 
I kind of felt like they did that on purpose if because maybe they hadn't settled on things yet. Oh, no. Like, uh, to it only was, show, like, this much of... I, it was very, very much intentional because they were uh, they were initially keeping his, his appearance, the actor's appearance, because they announced he was going to be in it or it leaked that he was going to be in it, and people were speculating. So they created a... He was going to be Officer Sean Merkel or something, you know, and they were going to make these... I think they made some fake scenes with him in GCPD uniform, so to throw people off of what he Matt Reeves what originally he was doing. planning, uh, so that it wouldn't leak out there. So again, hey, we told you if you're listening to this now and you're really mad that we just spoiled something for you, we we did tell you beforehand this was going to be uh, a spoiler. The spoiler but, part, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really I really liked kind of the central mystery revolving completely around Bruce, but not really be about Bruce. Uh, right. And and the, the, the wool over the eyes thing I was kind of referring to earlier in the con, uh, confession scene. I was convinced he had him figured out as Bruce. And he was going to do kind of the, okay, well, I won't tell them that you're Bruce, but I'm going to let you know you're Bruce. But then you get the line of dialogue. We got all of them but Bruce Wayne. And I was like, oh, that was such a good way to play that scene out. Because you had me sold. You had yeah, me sold I'm... from the letter sent to to the uh, to the manor, the estate, or whatever. And mm-hmm. it being also having the letter to Batman and Fireproof. Um, the way you're like, Bruce Yeah, Wayne. and you keep saying it. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that some part of the Riddler doesn't know. I yeah, it's. Uh, but I think he in his broken mind, you know. But I'm not convinced that he one hundred percent doesn't know. I feel like he's like maybe seventy percent. So it, you, you, I don't know why this popped in my head, but you you, you kind of hit. I, I can see where you're coming from. It's like uh, when they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover on the CW shows, and you have. Lex going to all these different Earths to kill Superman. And every (laughs) single Earth he's going to, Clark Kent is Superman. But he, like when he gets to the Smallville Earth and is talking to uh, Tom Welling, Clark Kent, he's like, my Clark Kent can't be Superman. Like, that guy? No. And it's like... But you literally but just killed like every single one. Seventy Clark Kent's in a row, right? And, and, and you, you, but you still can't reconcile that in your mind. Now, I was wondering if they were gonna play something into because uh, one um, thing that they've done with the comics is introduced a uh, a a brother that Bruce never knew he had, and this dealing with the orphanage. I wondered if they were going to try to say that he was his brother. Cause you get that picture in his apartment where he's looking down on Bruce. Yeah. Uh, and they're both about the same age. Yeah. So, or close to it. I was kind of wondering if there was going to be some other weird connection. Yeah. Especially when they were going into the family stuff with Martha, I was like, is there an illegitimate kid somewhere? Right. And he's the illegitimate kid. Like I, that's what I was kind of thinking about. I think, but, though, if they're going to do that, because that is, is perfectly set up, he has mentioned he wants to do Court of Owls, or he would love to bring the Court of Owls into the movies. 
that's where that would be more prudent to bring the uh, the illegitimate brother into it, as that's a big plot line in the uh, Court of Owls storyline. So, uh, but it, it did seem like there was some other connection of like him. Obviously, he's jealous of Bruce Wayne. He's the orphan well, that yeah. you know. Yeah, and you're the, the orphan. Yeah, you're the orphan in the crappy, you know, orphanage that's like you said, like run over with kids and like rats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's the only orphan they care about because he's the rich white boy. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I'm sure he'd be the only orphan they cared about just because he's the rich boy. You right, know, like. Right. But yeah. yeah. Um. So now, um, my my wonder is, how much of zero year are they going to do? Because they have Gotham by the end of the film, Gotham is completely flooded. They're kind oh, yeah. of, it's, it's almost um, reminiscent, reminiscent of no man's land from the comic books where they're kind of isolated. Uh, you know, all the criminal, uh, you know, P, the criminal element is kind of out of control. They're not getting much support from the government uh, and everyone's kind of fending for themselves. I wonder how much are they going to lean into that, if at all, for a sequel? Because I think it could make an interesting sequel, but you're still going to push off Bruce as a character for yeah. that. Um, so I'm really intrigued because uh, I would say the earliest you're going to get a sequel is three to four years, potentially. Yeah, you would you would think, yeah, some uh, like a, a longer time, not not anytime soon. Because I know he's not ready to jump into a sequel, Matt Reeves. Uh, he's got ideas. He's got it tumbling around in there. But as he uh, as he's quoted of saying, I'm going to take a little nap first. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, this movie is long. Yeah, uh, but it it didn't it didn't really cause any issues for me. Uh, the the runtime was. I, I didn't feel like I'd been sitting in there for almost three hours. I wasn't tired. I wasn't bored. Uh, I was intrigued the entire time. The cast put in 110% in the effort. The sound design was fantastic. The score was fantastic. I mean, let me see. Uh, let me ask you this if you picked this up. Uh, and this, since we're in the spoiler section, I can talk about this too. When Falcone is shot and killed, and the light is blinking. Did it sound to you with the blink of the light that it was in the tune of the theme? I don't I don't remember, honestly. Okay. I don't When you if you ever revisit it, pay pay attention cuz it sounds to me like it, it it and it's not like oh the music is playing in the background to it, but the music is kind of starting to swell up, but it just like cuz it's like did, you know, it's just doing that dit 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 dit, dit like to the beat of the that that <laughs> of the music that music that that theme that they wrote for him. Um, but yeah, I I mean, to come out of that and say that's not Batman, this is the worst movie ever, or this is a woke movie, so therefore it's going to fail. I mean, I get I get it that reviews are purely subjective, but if you have that opinion, you can have the opinion of it's not a good movie. I can give mm-hmm. you that. Maybe it's too long. Maybe you it didn't spends, like it. Yeah. Maybe it spends too much time spinning its wheels or too much time on exposition, whatever. Fine. But to say it's not a Batman movie, to say it's not a, the Batman character in of itself, or to even call it a woke movie, you are being disingenuous and you are wrong. I mean, you are the cynic in the title of this uh, podcast. <laughs> you are not being 
critical and actually judging the movie based on the merits of the story, sound design, acting. Not one of them I saw in any of those of those reviews I, I, I read that were uh, trashing it for being woke talked about anything about the acting. He barely even talked about the story. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's all about dismantling systems. There was nothing about dismantling <laughs> systems. Well, they're trying to dismantle the corrupt system. Right, but, right. you know, like, like, again, that's par for the course for Gotham and Batman story. And, like, I feel like every Batman story ever is Gotham is corrupt. Yeah. And he's constantly fighting an uphill battle against the corruption. That's even why Selena says this city will take your life. Like, yeah. you're never going to fix it. And, I mean, it's just, and even in real world, you're going to tell me our politicians aren't corrupt? I couldn't right? tell you any politician that I believe that's in office is... That hasn't done something. Is 100% clean. They have all done something. Whether it's mm-hmm. minor bad or major bad, they've all done something. Because power corrupts. Right. And... Uh, but I don't really have anything else to say, and we've, we're running a little bit over here. So a little not, bit over. Not, not, I don't know. I'm trying to run through a three-hour movie in my head of, like, is there any other <laughs> After scene? one viewing, too, you know? Yeah, so. after one single viewing of it. I, you know, I I think we've covered it. Yeah. You know, like, setting, it was filmed beautifully. It was edited beautifully. Like, great camera angles, cinematography, I liked all the costuming. I did like his Batman suit. You know, like, I didn't hate it. You know, I liked it. I liked her, um, basically, Catwoman outfit (laughs) and the simplicity of it. Honestly, I liked that. I'm still running through my head. I liked that Colin Farrell did such a great job and they had such great makeup for him that I didn't even recognize and realize it was him at first. Yeah, and like, until you see his name on the credits or you know for a fact that. (laughs) He's playing Penguin. You like, oh, and I have no idea that's Penguin or yeah, that's I'll, Colin Farrell. I'll leave you with a little funny story of just I think is funny. Okay, so not looking at the cast list or anything before I went in to watch it. I'm watching it, and you know Jeffrey Wright is um, Gordon. Took me forever to remember because I was like, why do I know him and why do I know that I like him as an actor? Literally, it did not come to me, literally, until the scene at the end, at the very, very end, again, big spoilers, where um, Batman cuts himself off from that, oh, um, yeah, yeah. that hanging electric thing or whatever, and he you know, takes off the, 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 that's the knife, cuts it, and falls into the water, and my mind thought, that's still electric, wouldn't something have shocked all the people by now? And then I thought, Beatty, because he's in, he plays the character... And that just was the connection for me. Uh, BD and what? Let me look it up real quick. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to, to make sure. I'm trying to let make my sure head. that I'm telling you the correct thing. Um, but that made the connection in my head for me to go, yes, that's who that is. And it literally took me until that point in the movie. <laughs> I was thinking about it the whole time. I wanted to get out my phone and look him up. Yeah. Okay. In Hunger Games. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But because okay. he's in, in Catching Fire, he's the one who has the plan yeah. to um, electrocute everyone on the beach in the wet sand. And when he fell, and I thought, wouldn't that still have shocked people because they're still electric in that thing? And that was what made the connection. And I went, oh, yeah, 
that's the guy who played Beatty. I totally forgot he was in that. It literally took me the whole freaking movie <laughs> because I was sitting there, could not remember for the life of me, couldn't like bring it up. So you haven't wa- so, watched Westworld at all? Well, no, I haven't. Um, just as another, I don't know if we've talked about this because we haven't done like X-Men movies, yeah. but when I was watching First Class, it took me the entire movie to re- realize that was Kevin Bacon. <laughs> it took me the entire movie because I was watching it knowing I know who this is. I know I know. And it took me the entire movie to realize it was Kevin Bacon. So Shame, yeah, shame, shame. That's the, that's the thing going to see movies sometimes. I'm like, why do I know this actor? And I can't get out my phone and look it up because I'm in the theater and I'm being respectful well, of everybody around me. Yeah, you could, but that we call those people jerks and someone was Teenagers. doing it. <laughs> Not mine. Mine was some guy just pulling out his phone three well, times you know. in the movie. And I'm like, I'm about ready to throw my keys at you, sir. Like, But yeah, it took me for freaking ever to remember. And I was like, oh, it, that's who it is. <laughs> I, I'm really, I do, I'm really interested to see what type of universe this creates. Because I, I mean, I get we're going to have our in-continuity and out-continuity movies. And movies like The Batman and Joker are kind of their own worlds. But, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. A little bit of me hoped that, like, Flash was going to just, like, pop in for two seconds. Be like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Like, this isn't the right place I'm trying to get to and get out of there. Um, there is, uh, it's more of an FU to the audience, but I think a good FU to the audience. Um, it's it's probably more of an FU to Marvel audience. There is a bit of a post-credits thing. Is there? It's very minor, and if you miss it, you're not missing anything. It is the computer screen. So if you remember when he's typing like messages back to the Riddler when they figure out the URL and it just goes goodbye. (laughs) And that's it. Some, someone in our theater got really pissed and they're like, screw you. And I was like, come on, dude. Like it's, it's cute. It's funny. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. care. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed our reviews. Um, Got more coming, more stuff planned. Uh, just trying to fit it all in our very, very busy schedules. As I know, I have a very, very busy week this week, and I'm not looking forward to it. So, uh, all right, guys, uh, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>